That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. Coming up later on the show, my good friend Lisa Booth is going to join us. Lisa, of course, is a Fox News contributor, frequent host on Fox News, and the host of her own podcast as well, The Truth with Lisa Booth, which we, of course, encourage you to check out. But before then, let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden. Let's talk a little bit about old Uncle Joe. Joe from Scranton, Pennsylvania. The working man, the guy who made a career out of quote-unquote fighting for the working man. Well, you know, how is that going now, Joe Biden? How is that going now? Man who rose to fame in Scranton, Pennsylvania, in hard scrabble, Pennsylvania, Delaware. Who tried to make a name for himself, fighting for the small guy. How is that going, Joe Biden? Well, you know, it's actually not going very well, is it? It's really not going very well here. And my most recent column, I entitled it, quote, Joe Biden versus We the People. Because specifically from my perspective, it is going so poorly that unless we are to attribute the most feckless incompetence imaginable, to this administration, to the Biden-Harris administration that is currently experiencing record low poll numbers, unless we are going to extrapolate and predict that it is truly that bad, that they are hiring just this incompetent of people, whether it's economics, foreign policy, diplomacy, immigration, you name it, then the only alternative is that they kind of want this to happen. And I'm not saying they literally want to accelerate the destruction of the country. But at some point, you have to really ask yourself, when it's going this poorly, and in particular, when the administration seems to be engaged in a full frontal assault against the median American citizen, then what alternative explanation is there? My friend Steve Dace, we had on the podcast recently, he said on Twitter, he said his producer told him, it's demonic, bro. It's demonic what's going on out there. That's Steve's word, not mine, but I'm not necessarily going to disagree with that. Look, no matter where you look right now, consumer price index, CPI inflation, 8.3% in April on an annualized basis, actually slightly down from 8.5% in March, well above, of course, the Fed's 2% target. Inflation, of course, the most regressive tax of all as, man, no less a, a lefty than Jeff Bezos himself was actually tweeting last week. And you know it's bad if you're a Democrat and Jeff Bezos is tweeting against you, by the way. He, the owner of the whole democracy dies in darkness crowd over at the Washington Post. But why is Biden not communicating 
to Jerome Powell, who's just reelected as chairman of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, of course, is nominally independent under its guiding authorizing statute from Congress. But why is Joe Biden not talking to Chairman Powell and publicly saying that he is prepared to accommodate pretty dramatic escalations in the interest rate to try to get this inflation back down under control? Just basically trying to copy the Paul Volcker playbook back when he faced similar stagflation back in the late 70s into the early 80s and in the first Reagan term in particular in the early 80s. Why is he not doing that? Why is he not invoking the Defense Production Act, actually, to ramp up domestic production in general? Because that's the way to fight inflation on the fiscal side. The monetary side, of course, is the main tool. Well, on the fiscal side, the way to do so, where the classical definition of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods, best way to fix that, of course, is to produce more goods. Get some industrial policy measures out there. Invoke the Defense Production Act. At bare minimum, let's get this baby formula situation figured out. This lethal baby formula situation, horrible stuff, horrible stuff where mothers are having to go store to store scrambling to prevent their babies from starving. At the same time, of course, Congresswoman from Florida, Kat Kemak, has tweeted photos that appear to show fully stocked shelves with baby formula at holding facilities for illegal aliens. So the open borders lobby, the illegal aliens get their baby formula. The media American does not. By contrast, the media American is getting annihilated at the pump for gasoline. Totally annihilated. While at the same time, the Biden administration is canceling oil and natural gas leases in both Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. Why? Why for any other reason would you do that other than to punish the median American who in rural or suburban America has to drive <laughs> and not drive on a Tesla, not drive on a lithium battery powered electric car, but drive in a gasoline powered vehicle. What possible reason other than to obtusely capitulate to the environmentalist greeny Malthusian zealots in his own base would he have? for pursuing policies of this nature, to restrict domestic energy production at a time like this, while simultaneously trying to make us more energy dependent on countries like Venezuela. They've even shown that they're open to Iranian oil. To stop oil from Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico while simultaneously declaring that you are open to the possibility of Iranian oil? Just evil, evil, evil stuff. Really evil stuff. But, you know, that's the situation we're in right now, unfortunately. And we're trying to chart a path forward to get us out of that situation. But you know who hopefully can help us chart a path forward, of course, is the aforementioned my dear friend Lisa Booth. So let's see if we can help chart a path forward to get out of this morass, especially with midterm elections coming up this fall. So stay with us. We will be right back on the other side with Lisa Booth. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Thrilled to be joined this week by my good friend, basically my neighbor. That, of course, is Fox News contributor and the host of The Truth with Lisa Booth. That is Lisa Booth herself. So thanks so much for joining, Lisa. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. It is sunny, beautiful, bright here in the free state of Florida, which probably is a good place to open the conversation. So, you know, you, you like me, are part of this whole Florida exodus movement that has happened over the past year and a half, two years. What kind of led you to move down here? I mean, you know, COVID obviously is a big part of that, I'm sure. But kind of what were the various factors that led you to decide that Florida was where you were going to plant your flag? Well, aren't we so lucky? I mean, I am looking outside at my balcony right now, staring at the beautiful water, as you mentioned, a sunny day in the free state of Florida. For me, it was really just the freedom aspect of things. I mean, if you remember, Josh, during COVID in New York, they were sending the National Guard to airports trying to stop people from going to states like Florida and visiting states like Florida, shutting down businesses, not letting people live their life, not letting people go to church. It's really, and then and, you're, and then you're walking around outside and everyone's got a mask on and people looked at you like you're a terrorist if you don't have a mask. So just completely unreasonable, illogical thinking in the city of New York. And, and then crime started to increase as well in the city and you started to feel less safe. I mean, I used to take the subway to work every day. I wouldn't take the subway now. It's not safe. Well, you're gonna get stabbed. You're gonna get thrown in front of one of the trains, right? And then you've got the tax situation and rent is so high, you know, the rent is too damn high. And so what's the point? And so I just started realizing, look, I'm not happy here. I don't like this city. I don't subscribe to any of the belief systems of the city, right? I'm a, I'm a hardcore conservative living in a communist city. Uh, and then you're not free. And then you've got all these other things on top of it. So I said, the hell with this. I'm getting out. And so I looked at Miami as a place where, you know, you still kind of have that city vibe, but you're in a very free state. Obviously, Governor DeSantis has done an incredible job through COVID, keeping the state free, following the data, following the science, unlike everyone else, right? And then not sending seniors to their deaths like Governor Cuomo was, but, you know, he got praised for it, of course. And so I arrived here. And honestly, it's the, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life is moving down to the free state of Florida. When did it start to get truly oppressive in New York City? And also, like, what was the single worst thing that you experienced? Like, if there, if there was, like, one incident during COVID in particular that stood out, I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly when they implemented the mandates and all of that, but when did you realize that there was just really no recovering for a normal lifestyle in New York City? Well, Josh, because you, you, you started to walk around, and it just there was, like, this feeling of despair in the air. Everyone just seemed so depressed, and then just illogical things like wearing a mask outside. And I wouldn't wear one because I'm like, this is insanity to wear a mask outside. And so I just, I was like, I am just so out of sync with what this city stands for. And then, and, you know, and then you start adding just all these other things on top of the city and, you know, the crime increasing, the, you know, wanting to cut the NYPD's budget and just moronic, moronic ideas. And so I just came to the conclusion, this city is not getting better. And I don't think it's ever going to get better if you look at the path that the city's down right now. 
Uh, you know, they keep voting for people that are just going to continue implementing failed policies, and it's just going to continue to get worse. And then obviously, that escalated very quickly during COVID by the shutting down businesses and, you know, depressing the economy further in the city. Uh, and then they added in, you know, insult to injury with what they were doing to police, just utterly demoralizing them and, and allowing rioter, rioters to come in and destroy businesses even further after already crushing them with lockdowns. And so I was just like, this isn't getting better and I'm not happy here. Right. And we're, 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 I'm 37. I want to live my life. I want to be happy. I want to be free. I want to enjoy my life. And why, why continue to live someplace when I don't need to, you know, why live there? Why not be happy and go someplace where, you know, you can thrive and enjoy your life and, and live it fully. And I, and I honestly, I pity people who lived in fear during COVID and hid in their basements and deprived themselves of life and happiness ultimately just to end up getting the virus anyways, right? You know, whereas we've been living our lives, I've been living freely in Florida and we all arrived at the same place of ending up with COVID at some point. Yeah, you know, like at the risk of sounding somewhat crass or insensitive, which of course I would never want to sound, but at the risk of sounding- Of course not, (laughs) Somewhat crass. I mean, like, is COVID still a thing? I mean, I can't even tell you the last time that I woke up in the morning and went to sleep at night and I felt like COVID meaningfully impacted my day. I mean, obviously the, you know, the recent, the most recent kind of final death blow, the final nail in the coffin, of course, was the heroic action of Judge Mizell down here in Florida to kind of strike down the nationwide masking mandate on public transportation. But even before that, at least I think you'd agree with me. I mean, we just, you know, it just like wasn't a part of like our day-to-day lives, honestly. And one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, I would love your thoughts on this, because it's not just you, right? I mean, I mean, I hear your story and, you know, it became unlivable. But if you look at the data, if you look at the U.S. Census data for which states are losing representatives in Congress, who's losing population, who's gaining population, this is a broader trend. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois, California, all these pro-lockdown, high-tax states are losing people. Texas and Florida are among the states, Tennessee, these, you know, big red states with low taxes, or in the case of those three states, zero income tax are all gaining states. So, I mean, I assume that you would expect this trend to just kind of continue more and more, right? I mean, there's really no reason that I can see that it wouldn't. Well, see, I I think the game changer was Omicron. Because what ultimately happened is you had these people on the left that had convinced themselves that if they take all these steps, they do all these things, somehow they could avoid an unavoidable virus. And then Omicron came and completely changed the game because you had all these people who thundered those at people like me who didn't get the vaccine, people you know, like us who didn't want to wear masks, who were looking at this from a data-driven, logical standpoint, who were thumbing their nose at us, who ended up arriving at the exact same spot of ultimately getting COVID. So I think Omicron was really the game changer. And I think the left would have loved to hang on to the issue to try to revive it heading into the midterms, but they lost the ability once everyone got COVID, because I think after that point, people really stopped fearing the virus because they realized there's nothing they can do to outrun an outrunnable virus. And so I think that's kind of inevitably how we arrived at, you know, a place of at least, you know, a little more logic than where we were before with COVID. But to your point about red states, I mean, you know, about these red states thriving and blue states continuing this demise, particularly blue cities. Yeah, I just don't see it changing, right? Because, you know, how how can they revive their cities at this point? I mean, they would have to they would have to uh, 
they would have to embrace policy decisions and outcomes that are antithetical to their belief system, right? I mean, you would have to get tough on crime. You would have to reduce the tax burden. You would have to do things uh, that would be unsavory to the left. And so I just, I don't think there's any way that they can right the ship in these cities. And I, and I honestly just think they're going to continue its demise. And that's the beauty of living in a city like Miami is, I mean, what cities are thriving in America right now? Really, besides like Miami and Nashville and, and maybe a couple, but most cities are on the decline. And so it, it's sort of fun to live here right now as like Miami's you know ascending as well as the state of Florida. No, I, trust me. I mean, I, sh- I, I share that sentiment uh, vehemently, I would say. I mean, you know, look, I was in Chicago recently for like law school alumni stuff. And at least I don't even know if I told you this, but I mean, my girlfriend's purse was just stolen. I mean, I've been having to work with like Chicago police detectives at the bar owner trying to file a police report, all this. This was recent? This this was literally like less than two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it was- Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so like we saw this, (laughs) you know, I mean, we just learned this lesson in in painful, visceral way, obviously. It's just the the demise of, 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 of blue cities and blue states in America, more broadly speaking. But- Going back to COVID in particular, because, you know, you've been, I think, the tip of the spear, along with some of our other friends, really, and kind of just pushing conservatives to kind of fight back against lockdown insanity and the, and the hysteria. What is kind of your, I mean, we're now with two plus years after 15 days to slow the spread. So talk me through to kind of just like looking back on what has happened over the two years. I mean, for me personally, just putting my cards in the table, I just get pretty depressed now, kind of looking back in retrospect about kind of the extent to which people just blindly and willfully submitted, right, to kind of just these ever-changing, arbitrary diktats and rules. And is that kind of your read situation as well? Has it been kind of a black pill of sorts for human nature? Well, I just, I don't know how we rectify the situation outside of people actually being punished because I just think there has been, such a demise in faith and institutions and the people who lead us that I I don't know how you write that ship outside of just, you know, completely gutting the system and punishing people. Because I mean, you you look at what lockdowns did, it it saved no one, right? It was like what I think John Hopkins, it was 0.2% or something like 1800 people, right? And you look at the extent of the damage done, suicides, overdoses, uh, you know, the list goes on, right? We've got teenagers in the hospital, for suicide attempts and depression. And they really tried to destroy society. And so I, I don't know, I, I, I just, I see a country right now we're descending into chaos and you look at all these pillars that hold up a nation that, uh, you know, hold up a civilized society and the left is just really trying to burn them to the ground. And then in the vaccine stuff, that's when I really got, you know, I wrote the op-ed in Newsweek and, and just really got upset by things because it's just wrong to force people to get something that they don't need that isn't fully fledged out. Most vaccines have five to 10 years of safety data. This had less than a year. They weren't able to get mRNA to the market in this way. They used the fog of war to do it, you know, the fog of a crisis to get this to the market. And you're asking people who don't need it, who are maybe young and healthy, who have already had natural immunity, who don't need this shot, and you're forcing them to get it. And then what shot is effective that needs four or whatever in such a short period of time, right? And so I I just, what I was saying was wrong. And so I felt like I had to take a stand and I feel like that's our duty and the jobs that we are in, you know, to, to stand up and to be vocal about things. Let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about that right on the other side. You're listening to Lisa Booth. Stay with us. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. So, Lisa, let's pick up right where we left off there. So, you wrote this op-ed for me at Newsweek around last November about why you are not vaccinated. And, you know, I think I think you and I were both a little kind of nervous about what the reaction to this op-ed might be. But it, from my perspective, it seemed overwhelmingly positive. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about the op-ed, why you wrote it and what the reaction was from your perspective. And I appreciate you for publishing it because that was actually a really brave thing to do. I mean, people don't remember at this time when this op-ed was published, this was a time where like people were even still trying to say that the vaccine would stop the spread. This was at a point of like peak crazy when it came to vaccines and trying to push it upon the public. And so, yeah, I was a little bit nervous about it because, you know, I had already sort of taken a lot of heat from, you know, friends, family, people I love and, you know, my colleagues and, you know, other people out there are getting attacked by, you know, like CNN and, and stuff like that. And so, I, you know, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know if I'd end up losing a job. I didn't know, you know, what the impact of it would, would be, but I thought it was the right thing to do. And the reason why I wanted to write the op-ed is I'd previously taken that stance on with Dan Bongino, but, you know, on TV, it's really hard to articulate the reasons why you're doing something, right? It's just so quick. It, it's just hard to really dig in and to give a lot of detail. And so I wanted to write the op-ed because there was this idea at the time that somehow people who didn't wanna get the vaccine that you're anti-vax or you're a rube or you're not thoughtful or you don't care about society and all these different you know, demagoguery and you know, just trying to shame people into doing what you know, society was pressuring people to do. And so I wanted to demonstrate that, no, there are a lot of people who have given this a tremendous amount of thought and so it was very well sourced. I gave it a lot of thought, a lot of research, took a long time writing it. And I wanted to demonstrate to people like, no, people have really thought this through. And I also wanted to give voice to people who aren't in a position like me in the media to stand up for themselves or to give them a reference point to then take to their employers and say, look, I'm not getting it for these, these reasons. And, and I really do think there's always a domino effect in this kind of stuff. Because I was seeing people like Kyrie Irving or Jonathan Isaac speaking up about not getting the vaccine. And so I said to myself, why am I not? Yeah, no, why are you not? And I, you know, I assume that the reaction was generally positive and they're probably, I'm, I'm sure the haters came out, obviously the, you know, the comment section, that's what they always do. The trolls come out from under the rocks, but you know, I mean, there was no, there was no effort to cancel you or anything for this. No, there wasn't. I was actually really surprised by how positive the reaction was. I mean, I was even getting friends from, you know, Democrats I know and, and people who don't necessarily agree with me politically who, you know, were saying, look, this makes a lot of sense. Like you've made me think about this differently. And so I, I think what it, and even if you look at the comment section, I mean, there's so many comments, like hundreds of comments. And so the whole point of it was just to make people think, to maybe question their own belief system, or at least just give it some thought and to create dialogue. And so I think we accomplished that goal uh, with the op-ed. And so, yeah, I think the reaction was actually, you know, and I even had people who had disagreed with me, a lot of the stuff I was saying about COVID being like, look, I'm proud of you for, you know, stand, even if I don't share the same, you know, the same belief about the vaccines, I'm proud of you for standing up for yourself 
and articulating it in a thoughtful way. So, you know, yeah, the reaction actually ended up being, you know, really positive, but I didn't know that, you know, we didn't know that at the time. I I, I really didn't know how, yeah, I didn't know how it was going to go down. Yeah, no, you know, I was very anxious the day it published. For sure. No, it was it, it was a really courageous thing to do. And it kind of leads me to my next question, actually, because, you know, I, I think for the folks who see you on Fox routinely, you know, there are some people on Fox, certainly, who I think are notably, how should we say this, kind of anchoring the right side of, of the spectrum, the, the more based, if you will, among us. And, you know, I think folks like you, Tucker Carlson on Fox are certainly among that cohort. Well, I've, I've, obviously, I would never ask you to kind of say anything about any of your colleagues, but, but but just talking about like your personal beliefs and kind of how you got to where you are today. If I'm not mistaken, you were raised in a conservative household, but tell us a little bit more about kind of your you know evolution through teenage years into young adulthood, kind of just the path that led you to have this platform and kind of give these consistently hard charging beliefs. Well, I've gotten a lot more conservative the older I've gotten to be honest. I mean, I've always been a conservative, I've always been on the right, but I've gotten a lot more conservative in recent years. And I think a lot of that's just been by, like, I used to think that, I used to sort of be naive and like Pollyanna and thinking that, okay, you know, we can work together, there's common ground, there's middle ground. And then I, you know, I like so many conservatives started realizing, no, they actually hate us, you know? Yeah. And that became so pronounced recently with Kavanaugh and, with what they tried to do to Donald Trump during his presidency and, you know, with the the FBI and the DOJ just abusing their power, even during the Obama years, to be honest. And that's probably when a lot of, you know, my sentiments really started when you saw the IRS target conservatives and, you know, using the CIA to spy on Congress and and just seeing sort of like these abuses taking place and, and realizing, I mean, how do you find common ground with people like that, you know, how do you find common ground with people who who want to destroy you? Or in the instance of Kavanaugh, uh, you know, accusing him baselessly of gang rape when there's zero evidence. And I was very vocal during that too, of basically just saying, you know, writing op-eds that Christine Ford's a liar, and that, you know, a lot of people were afraid to say that at the time, but she was, and she is, and you know, and and she had no details straight. I mean, even in the uh, you know, even in the Washington Post, that first initial hit has conflicting information in it that she gave the reporter. So she's always been full of it. And and so, you know, I just started realizing that, you know, this is about like survival, not just of conservatives, but of our country. You know, and then you get to a place of COVID and you're looking at that Rasmussen poll where 51 percent of Biden supporters wanted to put people like me who aren't vaccinated in government facilities. You know, 29 percent of Democrats wanted to take kids away from parents who aren't vaccinated, right? And so we're at a place where there really isn't reasoning. You've just got to destroy them electorally. Yeah, no, I I mean, what I've said over and over again, I'm happy you mentioned the, the Kavanaugh nomination fight. That really was the moment. I mean, that was the moment where certainly myself, I think a lot of others realized, holy, you know what, this is gloves off. I mean, they have taken it to DEFCON 1 and this this is real. And a lot of the old talking points from there start to look a little hollow and a little shallow in retrospect when we took it to that level. But, you know, look, the Supreme Court in particular, Democrats have a long and inglorious history of kind of taking it to DEFCON 1 and with respect to that particular institution, going all the way back to the nuked Bob Bork confirmation back in the late 1980s. Clarence Thomas. Clarence (laughs) Thomas, of course, 1991. My God, hard to believe that was 
31 years ago and Kavanaugh and now they and now they've done it again right and they've done it again with with this leaked opinion literally unprecedented in the Dobbs case which appears to be on the precipice of overturning Roe versus Wade so what's been your take on that over over the past couple of weeks what has been your take since this horrific and unprecedented leak happened and now we see people protesting outside the homes of the justices Kavanaugh Alito just just appalling stuff isn't it yeah, it's just another knocking down of pillars of our society and things that are, are holding us up to be a civilized society, right? I mean, this is unprecedented to do this. And obviously, whoever leaked this had the intent of everything that's happening happen, right? Like they wanted the, the they wanted the rioters and the, these these uh, thugs to show up outside of the house of Brett Ka- Justice Kavanaugh, and you know that's what they wanted. They wanted to try to put the fear of God in them and to try to scare them into changing their opinion and over what the right to murder babies. You know, I mean, like we're we're such an extreme country when it comes to abortion. When you look at the fact America is one of seven nations that have abortion on demand after 20 weeks, right. Puts us in line with China and North Korea. That says a lot about our values as a nation and as a country. And so, and I like, and what drives me nuts is like all these people on the left want to say, oh, my body might. No, it's not your body, your choice. When it came to the vaccines, that was truly my body, my choice, because it had nothing to do with the public health benefit since everyone could get that COVID and spread it. Right. It was me as an individual. It was actually my body, my choice. It's not your body, your choice. When you're talking about a child, another life into the equation. And so, you know, it, it's just sort of sickening seeing the reaction and, and what what the left, what the left believes and what they fight for. Yeah, I saw this amazing Babylon B headline the other day. If, if I recall, I think you actually retweeted me when I tweeted out, which is the caption was progressive dusts off her my body, my choice sign that she put away during COVID <laughs> because now it's relevant. Right. To, now it's relevant again. But look, I'm happy you mentioned the seven country statistic because it's true. The United States is in the company of China. Vietnam, North Korea. I mean, not exactly bastions of human rights when it comes to yeah, how long. And, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the amazing thing is if, if, if you look at Europe, which is not exactly known as kind of a right wing bastion, their policies, I mean, you know, it varies by country, but their policies are generally much, much more moderate. France, which has secularism literally enshrined in their constitution. My French is terrible. I think the French term is laicite. It's a 14-week ban. I think in Germany and Belgium, it's like 12 weeks. In Italy, it's 90 days. You know, And these are not considered, I think, hot-button topics over there. It's kind of just accepted as the way it is. So that kind of leads me then to something else I would love your thoughts on, which is there's been a lot of backlash since the opinion was leaked, to put it mildly. And some people are speculating that this will kind of fire up the Democrats to kind of mitigate what appear to be solid Republican gains this midterm. But from my perspective, I'm I'm not seeing that. I, I understand why they feel like they can rally their side, but I just find it hard to believe that they can really, really rally their side to the cause of killing unborn children. I mean, is that how you see it too? Yeah, I just don't think it's going to work. I mean, one, we're so far out from November and, you know, I got my start in politics and like that's a lifetime before November. So I just, I don't see this issue continuing to, you know, rev up the base. And that way also the country's split on the issue, right? Like half the country is pro-life, half the country is pro-choice. And then there's different varying degrees in between that about, you know, different issues in terms of at what weeks and, you know, these sorts of things. But 
the country splitted. I mean, it's not a slam dunk issue for them anyways. And you've got moms right now who can't get a hold of baby formula. Like that's going to drive them to the polls much more than this issue. So yeah, I, I just, I don't think it's going to be any sort of driving force electorally for them when the country is quite literally falling apart right now. When you look at inflation, you look at the border, you know, you look at all these other issues that actually, you know, impact Americans in a more real basis. So, you know, I, I just, I don't think it's going to be, you know, I, I don't, and I also don't think the intent of the person who leaked it was about the the midterms. I, I, I believe it was just to put pressure and to try to bully and scare the conservative justices into changing their opinion, which doesn't seem like it's going to work. I hope it can't. Otherwise, what's, you know, what's the point of any rule of law? Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court effectively dies as an institution, I think, if they cave after this. I mean, if they if they actually show that they can be bullied by literal mobs outside their home, then it, it becomes impossible. It, it becomes simply impossible, I think, to respect the integrity, independence and legitimacy of that institution. But going back to the midterms, you know, you mentioned, obviously, inflation, the economy is not exactly doing well. The stock market has been on a roller coaster, generally trending downward, um, unfortunately, over the past few weeks. So I, I, what's your what's your prediction for the midterms? I mean, how how good is it going to be for the Republican side, do you think? Well, I mean, look, I, I, we're at a point politically where I believe, you know, the reason the left has resorted to just these insane tactics and the kind of demagoguery that we're seeing and just the insanity and the desperation is because they see, you know, power sort of, they see themselves losing power, right? And this is a party, their religion is power. And so they're trying to hang on to it in any way. So I, I don't know what sort of stops they're going to try to pull out, you know, mail and ballots, whatever it is, some sort of new variant, you know, whatever they're going to try to do. I have no doubt that they're going to try to pull out every dirty tactic they can possibly do. But well, I, I believe there's an uprising happening in the country, one, culturally, where you've got parents seeing what these teachers want to do to their kids, or you've got Democrats coming out and saying, basically, we own your kids, you don't. We, we get to decide what your kids are taught, you don't. And so I think we're seeing an uprising of parents, and then you add things like you know parents not being able to get baby formula for their kids on top of it. And so I, I think you're going to have a, a lot of moms, a, a lot of concerned parents rising up. And then, yeah, and then you've got the, the economic aspect of it as well. So I, I think that Democrats, it, this is going to be a suicidal election for them. And, and they're the ones that committed suicide. When you look at some of the actions and the things that they have doubled down on, uh, whether it's being able to talk to children about sexual identity and these insane things that no teacher should ever talk to a child about, period. Uh, you shouldn't need legislation for that, right? Unfortunately, you know, we had to, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to see an uprising in the country, and I, I think it's going to be a total bloodbath uh, for Democrats. And then you look at things like Hispanics driving towards Republicans as well, or even what's going on near the Rio Grande Valley, where, you know, Republicans, you know, these Democrat strongholds that are trending red. Uh, I, I, it, I mean, it could be it could be very bloody for Democrats. Yeah, no, I think so, too. And, and I was happy to hear you mention the parental rights and education bill, which passed here in Florida, which, of course, takes us to the recent battle of Governor DeSantis versus Disney. And that kind of takes us full circle. And it's a great way to actually to end the podcast. But, you know, tell us from your perspective, then just final question here, thinking about DeSantis versus Disney and, and, and the saga that we just saw unfold. Is this the end of the American rights kind of flirtations with big business, with the Chamber of Commerce? I mean, was that kind of the final nail in the coffin for that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, 
and I also, it worked. I, I believe it's going to work. I can't remember where it was reported recently, but some big PR firm was advising a lot of these companies to not weigh in on, I believe it was the Supreme Court. I think that was the most, I'm trying to, I read it like sort of, uh, you know, quickly. So I'm trying to remember, but anyways, basically PR firms are now recommending these big companies to not wade in to some of these fights. So I, I do believe that that will have an impact in some of these companies sort of rethinking, taking, you know, political positions, but it's also, you know, everyone wonders why we're so divided as a nation. And it's because people can't escape politics. They're getting it shoved down their throat. Every commercial you turn on, you watch Netflix and there's a series called he's expecting, which is insanity. obviously that can't happen, right? Like that, that's not, that's not biologically possible. And so, you know, we're just getting all this stuff shoved down our throats. And that, but, but then you're also saying it from, you know, look at what's happening in Netflix right now. They're saying subscribers flee, they're, you know, they're taking a hit financially as well. So I think people are speaking up, you know, both with their wallets, but then also I believe it's incumbent upon people like Governor DeSantis to, to fight back. And all he really did was just level the playing field because Disney was getting special privileges that they probably should have never gotten to begin with. Right. Yep. No. And, and real quick about the elections. Sorry, the one, only one thing I wanted to mention about the midterms. It is going to look a little bit different than, for instance, I was at the NRCC in 2010. There's just less seats in play, right? Democrats have a smaller majority in the House. So a bloodbath is going to look a little bit differently. But I do believe that Republicans will regain the House and the Senate. We'll see what they do with it. But, uh, you know, ultimately, it'll be better than the left, I think, or I hope. (laughs) Definitely inclined to agree with that prediction. But, you know, to kind of borrow an adage from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and kind of take it domestically. You know, Republicans never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity either. So I guess <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. But I do share your prediction. But we're going to have to cut it short up there. Could obviously talk with you for hours, Lisa. But thank you so much for joining this week. Really appreciate it. Yeah, nice to talk to you, my friend. And uh, proud of your podcast and keep up the good work. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Thanks again for Lisa for that wide ranging conversation. So going back to the beginning of our conversation, just talking a little bit about how we both end up down here in South Florida and some of the benefits of living in a red state. And indeed, for our purposes here in Miami, living in a red city, actually, and tying some loose ends from a couple weeks ago when I was talking with you guys about the horrific incident that happened recently in Chicago which has just become a total cesspool. Laura Ingram had a segment on her Fox show recently, just going in depth, spending about nine and 10 minutes looking at the horrific, horrific crime in Chicago, galling footage on this Laura Ingram segment of this one man who robbed this other guy in Lincoln Park, which is not a particularly bad neighborhood there in Chicago, and just shooting the guy execution style because he robbed the cell phone and wouldn't divulge a password. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is totally impotent, horrible stuff. But just connecting some loose ends here and thinking about crime in America more generally, 
there was obviously was this unspeakably tragic incident in Buffalo, New York, my home state. I'm originally from New York, even though I actually have never been to Buffalo specifically, but a horrible mass shooting in a supermarket in Buffalo, New York this past weekend where what appears to be a white supremacist drove hours for purposes of going to a majority black part of town, uh, murdering disproportionately black individuals, a supermarket. This is the definition of evil. This is the definition of evil when someone commits an act like this. And as a death penalty proponent, maybe that's slightly overstating it, but as someone who supports the death penalty, I have to look at a situation like this, and I think to myself, is this not the quintessential paradigmatic case for the death penalty? Well, sure enough, actually, After this happened, Lee Zeldin, congressman from Long Island there in New York, who's running for New York governor in the Republican primary right now, he actually has called for the return of the death penalty in New York State. New York State does not currently have the death penalty. It was declared unconstitutional by the New York State Court of Appeals back in 2004. So Lee Zeldin's calling for it to return. Look, I have to think that this man who committed this atrocity in Buffalo is the perfect example of the death penalty. And look, I, I, we're not going to have time here on this final segment for like a full kind of airing out of all sides of the pros and cons of the death penalty. But the notion that there are some people in our society who do not deserve the absolute worst of the worst has always struck me as pie-in-the-sky utopian and a little naive, frankly. Let's go back to the source of all sources, okay? Leviticus 24, quote, And a man who inflicts an injury upon his fellow man, just as he did, so shall be done to him. Namely, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he inflicted an injury upon a person, so shall it be inflicted upon him. Close quote. Once you decide to have that bounty for a monster of unspeakable depths, like the buffalo shooter, then at that point, I think... You have to do it publicly. What is the point of hiding this taking of a life? If the state is taking a life, it should be out there. It should be in front of the community that was irreparably wounded. There's no point in doing this drug cocktail system behind closed doors. Get it out there. A monster like this, he needs to die. And if society deems that he needs to die, there's no point in hiding it behind closed doors. Put it out in the open. I'm Josh Hammer. Thanks for tuning in. 